Well, good morning, saints of God. Uh, to our apostle, thank you so much, sir, for this privilege of sharing with these your people that you have responsibility over. Uh, it is the day the Lord has made, and we shall certainly rejoice and be glad therein. I won't prolong our time. The hour is far spent. I want to jump straight to Ezekiel chapter 37. I'm going to read the first three verses, and then we'll unpack what all is said. Ezekiel chapter 37 in the Christian Standard Bible says this, The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by his spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. I want to ask the question for just a few moments. Is it too late now? Is it too late now? The concept of time is one that's been developed throughout the annals of, of human history. It's the mere mention of history pulls us to consider events that have been timed as past. Time is an interesting phenomenon. Time causes us to mark our lives with others' expectations. There are situations in which time measurement is good when you track the growth of a soon-to-be-born baby. We do so with time. When concerns arise as to whether this baby will arrive on time without serious cognitive delay, we do so with time. There are situations when time measurement just doesn't work. You're counting career gains and pitches against where others are and or have been, but it just ain't your time Yet you're believing that your ministry efforts have been stagnated, delayed with no clear vision of when goals can be achieved. The, the truth of the matter is that it just isn't your time yet. I like the way the old church would put it. They'd say you can't hurry God. You just have to wait. Trust and give him time no matter how long it takes. He's a God you can't hurry. You don't have to worry. He may not come when you want him, but he's right on time. Here's all I've been trying to say. God changes situations even when it appears to be too late. Ezekiel chapter 37 is a favorite passage for revival preachers. We love to look at God bringing life where there seems to be no life, where it seems to be nothing but darkness and death and decay. We bless God that he is a God who puts life back into the lifeless. Ezekiel is a prophet and a priest who's been in vocational ministry since his teenage years and serves more than 20 years. By all calculations of time, he would be one of the youngest pastors in the history of the church to retire, being only 53 when his service is done. He's the son of Bury, meaning he's one of those more than 10,000 Israelites who saw the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple before being sent into Babylonian exile under Nebuchadnezzar. And this prophetic writing is autobiographical. It's filled with intricate and striking imagery. Ezekiel, like other prophets, finds himself in a valley. Valleys often carry the image of desolation and decay. The only time the valley seems to have light and life is when Solomon writes his lover saying she's the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. 
Ezekiel would draw opposition from grandmama and them for he asked God why his writing is filled with the whys of life. Why does God allow the holy, the holy city and the temple to be destroyed? Why does God send his people into exile and captivity? Why does there seem to be no future for Israel? Why this and why that? The answer is best summarized. God allows all of that to happen as punishment for sin and a sign of his grace in allowing restoration. And when we arrive to Ezekiel chapter 37, the prophet is faced with what seems to be far beyond redeemable. But there's a rally in the valley. God fulfills his promises and reanimates what seems to be dead when it seems to be too late. God provides a revelation. That's the first beginning of chapter 37, verses 1 through 3. He has a divine revelation. God's hand is on him. It's this image of God in his power picking this prophet up and placing him in the valley intentionally. Some suggest it's not a physical location, just a spiritual revelation. The semantics don't matter, but it's important to know that when all seems hopeless and dry, we have a God who has his hand on us. And that's reason enough to shout there for God has his hand on us on us there's no place we can go that God does not hold us his re divine revelation reveals death is in the valley the text says the valley is full of bones this is likely the end result of some military battle where the bodies of the deceased were left for graveyards are an interesting place not alone for the series of headstones and grave plots that line the way, but for the families of deceased who are gathered around. The two types of people in the graveyard, those who suffer from hopelessness. They can't see beyond the reality of death. They can't see that death is not the end of life. For when one dies, they simply slip out of the back door of time into the front door of eternity. On the other side, there are people who believe in life beyond the grave. They believe that they'll gather around Jesus' feet and see their loved ones again. There is a divine revelation of death and of devastation. The Bible says that these bones are very dry. The New Living Translation says they're completely dried out. They've been bleached from exposure to the sun for a prolonged period of time. They're beyond resuscitation. Medical researchers hypothesize it takes between 50 and 80 years after you've died for your body to be reduced to bone. After 80 years, all that is left is dust. So God, in his providence, sends his prophet to the graveyard to experience this reality of devastation. And here, God dares ask him the question, is it too late now? Can these bones live? Are they too far gone? Are they beyond redemption? Ezekiel answers God and teaches us to qualify the sovereignty of our God while quantifying our suffering. He's in a valley. The valley's full of bones. The bones have been here for a long time. The bones are dry. And God asks him, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, Lord God, only you know. It's sovereignty. A.W. Pink says that sovereignty is God's right to govern the universe, which he's made for his own glory, just as he pleases. 
He's under no rule or law outside of his own will and nature. God is a law unto himself, and he is under no obligation to give an account of his matters to anyone. Better yet, God does what he wants, when he wants, with who he wants, how he wants to do it. He doesn't ask your permission, and he doesn't seek your rebuke. He just does what he wants to do. And herein lies the issue of our time. All too often we find ourselves in a problem and in a place. And instead of handing it to God, we say it's too late. And I'm a living witness that when you place the issue into the hands of a sovereign God, it's never too late for him to act. Said at the opening of this little sermon, and I'll say it again here, he's an on time God. When it seems too late, God provides a revelation and he passes down a responsibility. That's between verses 4 and 10. It's the bulk of everything that I want to say. When it seems hopeless around you, be listening to the voice of God. The Bible says that man should not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God told him to prophesy and he says what God says. Everybody wants to be a prophet, P-R-O-F-I-T, but nobody wants to be a prophet, P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Dante Stewart says to prophesy is not just to be predictive of the future, but to call out life in things that died in the past to live in the present. He's not just going around talking to lazy folks. He's looking at death. And is speaking life into death. I, I hear the Bible say that the power of life and death are in the tongue. So here's my question. What are you speaking life into? There's a responsibility to prophesy and there's a responsibility to hear what God is saying. This is called prayer. Prayer, as that old deacon would say, makes me strong when I'm weak and keeps me all the journey through. It's I just wish that there was somebody praying with us because in order to preach, you have to pray. And God deliver us from people who want to be preachers and have a public platform, but no private prayer life. Deliver us from folks who want to be the oracle of God, but don't want to listen to the voice of God. People encounter too much hell in this life to have somebody speaking vain ideologies. We don't need more politics from the pulpit. We need more Bible in the church. We don't need more fundraisers in church. We need more praying preachers in church. I feel like my pastor. I wish I had a praying church. When all seems too late, God provides a revelation. He purposes a responsibility. And third and finally, God produces a reward. God tells him to prophesy. And he says exactly what God says. There's a reward for your faithfulness. Keep doing what God called you to do. Keep serving where God placed you. Keep preaching what God gave you. There is a reward. The hymn writer said, when your journey is completed. If to God you have been true, fair and bright, your home in glory, your enraptured soul will view. Hold to his hand, God's unchanging hand. Text shows in verse 10 what happens when Ezekiel is faithful to God. Bible says, so I prophesied as he commanded me. Then breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Before Ezekiel could preach, he had to pray. Before he could see, he had to seek. And don't get so caught up in trying to see past your present that you forget to pray. We shout over the reanimation of these bones, but fail to see the prayer of the prophet. And Lord, deliver us from folks who want to see our ministry, but never want to see our prayer. 
That old deacon I told you used to say prayer makes me strong when I'm weak. But there's another movement to that hymn. They'd say I'll just keep praying until Jesus comes to take his servant home. And that's the shout here. If I do nothing great, it's all because if I do anything great, it's because I prayed. But if you never see me reach the stars, just know I prayed. It's a sad commentary to see the physical reaction of God's miracle but never see the spiritual animation that takes place. God puts breath into these bones and these bones come alive. And that's what we need to go. We need God to do in us. We need God's breath in us. I'm closing when I tell you, breathe on me, breath of God, and fill me with life anew that I may love what you love and do what you would do. Breathe on us, breath of God, until our heart is pure. Our will is one with yours to do and to endure. So breathe on us, breath of God. So shall we never die, but live with you the perfect life for all eternity. If you see anything happen in this life, it's not too late as long as God's breath is in it.